let's come back and we've got about 48 seconds till our zoom friends join us as their breakout rooms are closing and uh, they're coming back into our virtual space here There's a song that was written by, uh, based on some words from a Wendell Berry poem by a woman named Amy McCreeth that I just love. And I find this simple lyric is uh, such a beautiful way to meditate and to center myself and to remind myself of the presence of the spirit with me. Center. And in Logic. the moment, and so I'd like to just sing it briefly. And if you start to be able to get this melody as I sing, uh, you're welcome to join me. It's uh, this. The line is just one sentence, one phrase. What we need is here. So I'll sing that a few times. And if you'd like to to join as you you pick it up, please join me. What we need is here. What we need is here. And then the second line goes, What we need is here. What we together what we need is here what we need is here what we Hold that space as we listen to our scripture this morning. This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, 
Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. The Galapagos Islands are not lush tropical places. There's no pollinators, there's very few flowers, there's hardly any fresh water. There's trees that grow without leaves. We kind of think of them as this tropical paradise and because they're right in the middle of the ocean and right near the equator, but actually they're pretty deserted and there's not a lot of what we would recognize as being lush and good conditions for life. And yet, these islands are a haven for some of the most rare species in our world of animals and reptiles and birds, water iguanas and blue-footed and red-footed and Nazca booby birds, albatrosses, large land tortoises. And by some minor or maybe major miracle, <laughs> 10 members of my family were able to make it last week and take a vacation there. It was three tests, COVID tests, sets of COVID tests to get there and back and amazingly no cancellations of flights. And my parents were taking us for their 50th anniversary and we had this amazing week of walking on these islands in such close and beautiful proximity to so much wildlife. It was truly the trip of a lifetime. And you can't go to the Galapagos without thinking about Charles Darwin and the theory of evolution. And one, there's one phrase that is associated with him and with that theory called the survival of the fittest, right? We all know that, um, that phrase. And I think what I have always thought, and maybe you assumed as well, is that when we say the survival of the fittest, we mean the survival of those who are strongest, those who are fastest, those who are most healthy, those who are smartest, but actually, um, as I was reading and reading some reflections on Charles Darwin last week while I was in the Galapagos, it seems that he was actually meaning the survival of those who can fit. The, the survival of those who are able to adapt. The survival of those who, who see the circumstances that they are and over time begin to be able to change. 
that the reality in which they are in, in unexpected and maybe even seemingly uninhabitable, becomes a place where they learn to live and even thrive. It's the survival of those who are most adaptable. So I couldn't have planned, um, I'd already planned to have a sermon series this month on resilience, but it turns out walking around in the Galapagos for a week was a really good way (laughs) to begin to prepare for this and to think about resilience this month and uh, to consider how, how we might be able to adapt and be resilient in this time and in this place. Our text today is the story of what we call the wise men, the scholars from the East that we tell every year around Epiphany. The story is kind of a mysterious one. A group of people come from some country, we don't know where, maybe ancient Babylon scholars think. They come into Jerusalem and they're following a star. And what's interesting is they are more clued in to what is happening than the so-called insiders or experts in Jerusalem. It's a reminder that sometimes those who are outside of a way of thinking or on the fringes, sometimes they can see more clearly what's happening than those of us who think we're on the inside and we should know. But why did they do that? Well, they had practices of deep observation. They noticed the star. They listened carefully to what they were told in Jerusalem. They recognized the unexpected sacredness of the Holy Family that they found, this this poor family in a probably less than palatial environment. They recognized there was something special happening there. And they listened to their dreams, which in the end told them to go home by another way. And it's that phrase that really caught me as I looked at this passage, that they listened to their dreams and they went home by another way. This really shows their fitness. (laughs) It shows their adaptability. They did more than just survive and keep going with the plan as it was supposed to be. They were able to, to thrive because they were adapting. They were listening They knew when to, and I hate this, don't we all hate this word right now, but they knew when to pivot. (laughs) The word pivot has certainly become a reality for all of us these last two years. As the virus surges and as it ebbs and it flows and new information becomes available, people are, you know, now vaccinated where they weren't a year before. I mean, You know, everything seems to change. Our information is always shifting, and we're always being asked to pivot, to change, to adapt. I love this reporting that I read just a few days before Christmas on December 23rd in the New York Times. Lindsay Krauss had this title for her video reporting. She said, Normal is Dead. And this is what she said. When lockdown hit nearly two years ago, our lives split off into a new reality. The timeline we thought we were on was suddenly gone. We are redefining normal. Now we need to decide what that means. It's time to look back on everything we lost over these two years. 
Grief isn't linear. It's like a scatter plot, but there is one traditional stage of grief that I find useful right now, acceptance. In all kinds of grief, ultimately, what helps you feel better is accepting that what happened, happened, and there's no going back. Yes, you missed that graduation. Your wedding was canceled, and that's sad. But let's all remember that we haven't just spent the past two years wallowing in loss. We also added unplanned and improvised chapters to the book of our lives. Every time we lost something, we had to create something new. Extra time with kids, with family, those handstands you learned on TikTok, that Peloton bike you got and maybe actually used, you were just sitting on your couch, flipping through your phone, you were changing. And you're changed now. There is no going back to normal. Your old life is gone. But whether you wanted to or not, you were building a new one. You still are. What do you want your new life to be? There's a sermon right there on the New York Times, I thought, so it was worth reading a little bit of it this morning. What do you want your new life to be? The, the normal that we thought we were going back to isn't there anymore. We're now in this time of, of fitting into new circumstances, of pivoting into new ways of life. This week, someone shared with me the response of a little boy in Boulder, Colorado, who, who lost his house and everything in those terrible fires a couple of weeks ago. His family had lost ev absolutely everything they owned, and he said, it's kind of cool to lose everything. We can do anything now. And his mom said she realized he was right. It's changing our perspective on material things. So how will we fit into the reality that we are a part of? How do we respond to our losses and our changed realities? First, I want to just reinforce and underscore what Lindsay Krauss said in the New York Times. We absolutely have grief work to do. There are things that we have lost, and there are some big things that have been lost by many people who have lost loved ones. I lost, lost livelihoods and lost businesses. There's enormous loss for many to grieve. And I'm not downplaying that by any means. But we also have the invitation to listen and to respond with an open heart. What can we do now? Who have we become? What do we know now? What is needed now? Maybe we can't ever go home. The wise men, we assume, went back home. We not, might not be able to go back to the same place. But we also can go a different way. And I think that some of the key things for that is, is cultivating grace, leaning into courage, remaining with a sense of playfulness. This has really been true for certain in leading a church in these last two years for me. As we were coming to Christmas Eve and we were looking at the rise of Omicron and thinking about having all sorts of peoples, you know, in this sanctuary and whether people or not would want to come or not, we as a staff said, 
let's figure out how to do it outside. Cross our fingers, the rain's not going to be too bad, and you know, and let's see what happens. And the rain started during my sermon, which probably was a relief to a lot of people. Um, and people came, you know, came under the eaves, but we had a, a memorable service, something that will always be a unique moment in which we learn to do something different. Where we asked what is needed now, how can we be together? How can we be in this place? And there's endless amounts of those kinds of opportunities in our lives, each of our lives. With new challenges come new possibilities. And I'm curious what the possibilities are that you see in your life. What is possible now, even with all the challenges? Our job in this world is not to be successful, but to be faithful. In the Galapagos, as I walked among species like the water iguanas who learned to swim in order to survive there and saw the famous finches whose beaks have adapted to be able to eat different sizes of seeds. As I saw the tortoises whose shell size has changed over the years to allow them to reach higher sources of food. I was reminded that we so often think about ourselves and the world as permanent, as if it all is going to stay the way it always has been. But what is essential and what is important is not that, that stasis, but our capacity to adapt and to fit and to listen to what is happening now. Like the travelers from the East, we can keep asking and keep seeking and going home by a different way. I love when there is a synchronicity of what I'm thinking about and what you all are thinking about. And especially this week, I happened to, as I was prepping this sermon, read that uh, Cindy Wu had posted online this beautiful poem. So, um, so we're going to pipe her in over Zoom. So Cindy, if you want to unmute yourself, and she's going to read to us a poem she wrote this week. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me? Yes. Nice. In a world that sucks hope and devours light, what do we do and what can we be? Do we mourn when people decide to leave or do we shrug and say, c'est la vie? Do we fall into limbo when reality disappoints or do we stay wide awake to witness the pain? Do we dim our lights when darkness presses in? Or do we pierce the night with the glare of a distant, distant vision? Do we let ourselves be convinced by what it seems to be? Or do we insist to define the norm with what we first believed? When hope is unfounded, what else can we see? When love is rejected, how else can we give? When the road back home collapsed, where else can we blaze a trail? Dear God, have mercy and turn your face. Though temporary, this is still my home.
What we need is here. What we need is here. What we need is here. What we What we need is here. What we need is here. Amen. In these next few moments, as Amy sings, you're invited to give either online or we have a plate in the back um, as we give to continuing to resource each other in this great year of transition and adaptability and pivot.
We don't often think of this table as a, as a place where Jesus was pivoting, <laughs> but actually that's exactly what was happening. Things were not going the way that anyone had hoped, and he saw what was happening, that likely he would, what had been betrayed and was going to die and this is what he chose to do, was to sit and be with his friends at a table. And at this table, he offered them a picture of what was beyond their immediate loss, what was bigger than the circumstances of their lives, that, that what was possible was this table that extended to all this place where everyone was welcome, this place where we can create that beloved community of those who are open to the possibilities of love and service and joy in our world. The heart of God, we learned at that table, is welcome. You are welcome here. All are welcome here. Let's pray together. Oh God, we come to this place. Some of us are in that space of grieving what has been lost. Some are feeling a little confused about what next. Some of us are excited by the possibilities that are opening before us, but we recognize that all of it is welcome at this table. That you gather us around this, this bread and this cup and ask that no matter where we are, we would find our sustenance in listening to the voice of your love, and allowing ourselves to be fed by the food and the drink that you offer us in your presence with us in our world and in our lives. And so we open ourselves yet once again, putting our ear to the, to the sound of your love in this world, asking for you to reorient us, to show us a new way to go home, to guide us in the things that perplex us and grieve us in our world. We ask that you would be close to those who are struggling, those places in the world of such deep grief and pain and hunger and injustice, that even in those places, they would find that star of your love leading them forward and that we would also be a part of that love in responding to the pain and struggle in our world. Thank you for Jesus. 
for the way the life of Christ continues to sustain and guide us as we pray this prayer that he taught us, saying, Our God who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.